The resurrection, then, is, is really everything in our life, and that's so important. The resurrection shows us that we do not serve dead idols, like we read about in the Bible, but it shows us that we serve and love a living Savior. This living Savior lives today. He's alive. He's present by His Spirit here amongst us today, and He intercedes for us on our behalf, ensuring that we would never fall away. He is alive, and He has made us alive. And one day, if you have true faith, you can share in His resurrected glory with Him. And uh, that is our hope. The resurrection is the basis of our hope. Now, we know that every building has to have a foundation. Every building has to have a foundation if it's going to be a, a good building. Now, I have recently heard of a building. This is sort of a segue, but I saw a news program about a building that was built in uh, San Francisco of all places. It was actually like a sky rise. And it was in downtown San Francisco. I've never been there, but, but this is supposed to be a very, very expensive, extravagant building, a high-rise. And it's for very high-end people who are famous, movie stars, athletes, things of that nature. Uh, and I don't know these exactly, but I, I remember this saying that these penthouses are going for, you know, five to ten million dollars just really for a condo in downtown San Francisco, I think overlooking the bay. I mean, this is a, a magnanimous building. It really is. There is a lot of very famous people that have bought these penthouses or whatever they are. One of them was like Joe Montana uh, bought one there, uh, other movie stars, athletes, and things of that nature. But now, unfortunately, in San Francisco, they found a very serious problem with this building. This building has actually started to sink, starting to sink, and it's actually beginning to lean. Now, now they, and this is really bad, very troubling of all places in San Francisco because of the earthquakes. But you see, this building is now beginning to sink, and it's beginning to lean more, and it's, it's beginning to lean several inches every year, and that's way more than that what's allowed. I mean, there's always going to be some settling of a building, right? But this is way more than what is legally allowed and what is safe and deemed safe. Actually, if you go down into the basement of this building, they go down there, and uh, they show you all these cracks and all these fissures in the concrete. They've tried to like seal it up, and they've tried to put supports there, but it's a very disconcerting to many people. And in fact, in this program, they showed this one, uh, I guess we, there's one couple, or this one people, and uh, they basically had a marble, and they, rolled the, and they rolled the marble on, on their floor in this penthouse, and the mar they rolled it, and then the marble actually went, it stopped, and it, and it rolled back, because the building is leaning. And the, this, these people were so afraid. They're like, we are getting out of here. We don't know what's going to happen. They thought it was going to fall over. And they're so afraid of death, right? So they, they sold this penthouse for like very, very cheap, maybe, you know, 500000 They lost millions on the thing. They just wanted to get out. And now they, they asked these, these, these people, these architects, why is this happening? And they said, well, two reasons, really. The first reason was that the building was probably built with concrete 
Or it was built with concrete. Concrete's cheaper, they said, than steel. It should have been built with steel, but they want to save money, obviously, so they build it with concrete. Well, concrete makes it much heavier, so the building's obviously going to sink. It's much heavier. But they said, really, the main problem is that they have legally, by legal definition, the supports in the building, whatever they are, the, the beams that go down into the earth, they have to be drilled down a certain uh, 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 length. Now, they did the right length, but the problem was is these beams never went into the bedrock. They never went into a foundation. They just went into the dirt and the rocks and the stones. And really what they said is they just were driven down into the rubble that was left from the 1917 earthquake in San Francisco. So the building then just sits on a bunch of rubble, and it's just leaning, and it's, it's, it's you know, going. Now, I don't, there's not imminent. It's not going to fall over anytime soon. But as you can see, if you put a lot of money and invested in this building, you would be very disconcerting. So now they're trying to figure out how to fix the structure. And they said, really, the only way to fix it is if they drill down into the bedrock. Those beams need to go into the bedrock, you know, the actual rock that's that's going to hold the building up. That's going to make it have a sure foundation. Now, that's going to be a lot of money, and they don't know what they're going to do. But, hey, that's, you know, that's how it is there in San Francisco. But you see, this resurrection, the resurrection for us, is the bedrock for us of the Christian faith. You see, it's the same thing. If we take out the foundational stone or the bedrock of the resurrection for the Christian faith, the whole structure that is called Christianity, will certainly fall to pieces. So really, your belief in the resurrection, and really it doesn't really matter what you believe, but you, you must believe in the resurrection to be saved, but, but the resurrection is foundational to Christianity. If there's no resurrection, then I should close up my Bible and we should go home because we're wasting our time, Paul would say. We should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. No resurrection. There's no point in us being here. There's no, there's no point in worshiping a dead Christ. He died, but he lives, and he lives today. So today I want to look at a couple of these foundational stones that hold up the building of the Christian faith. We're going to see several truths about the resurrection that serve as, found as, a, as the foundation for the Christian faith. I'll say it again. Several truths about the resurrection on which the building of our Christian faith stands. So we have this great building called the Christian faith. We'll talk about some of the building today. Some of the floors, you know, some of the th- parts of the building. But we're going to see that that is only bolstered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's a wonderful day to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look first. The first, first of all, um, uh, the, the first uh, foundational stone uh, is that the resurrection ensures that the word of God is true. So that's the first truth about the resurrection that serves as the foundation that ensures us that the word of God is true. Resurrection is the foundation. That's what I meant to say. The resurrection is the foundation that ensures us the word of God is true. And what am I saying by that? Well, well, let's look at that. The resurrection then, again, these can be selected scriptures. The resurrection has been spoken about ever since the Old Testament. All right? The, the resurrection has, has been taught in the Bible 
It didn't just happen that Jesus Christ rose and then the gospel writers wrote about it. The resurrection has been written about since Old Testament times, since ancient times. God has always had a plan since the fall of man to redeem man through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to destroy death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? So the old, I mean, the resurrection then is, is not a new truth. It's, it's in the Bible, and it verifies, it validates the truth of Scripture. The resurrection is not true, then Scripture is not true. Also, the Scripture also validates the resurrection. They've served to validate each other. But, for example, let's think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament uh, teaching. Uh, first off, Abraham spoke about the resurrection. At least that's what we're taught in Hebrews 11, 17, and 19. Remember Abraham? He's, he's told by God to go and sacrifice your son, your only son. And you know what the writer in, in Abraham did that? Obviously, we know God stopped him. said God himself will provide a sacrifice, which points us to Jesus Christ. God himself did provide that sacrifice. But yet we're taught something in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested... He was going to, he said he offered up Isaac, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendant shall be called, and it says he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. So it would seem that when Abraham was taught to go sacrifice his son, he knew that God had made promises through his son that he was going to build a great nation if he, if he was going to kill him, that obviously the promise couldn't come to fulfillment, but he knew that God was able, even able to raise him up from the dead. Now, we know the story. God stopped him graciously. He said, now I know you. Fear the Lord. But nevertheless, Abraham believed in the resurrection. Isaiah speaks about the resurrection. This is an Old Testament prophet thousands of years ago writing to the people of God in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 26, 19, it says, Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn and the earth will give birth to departed spirits. So Isaiah writes about the resurrection. Now, of course, Isaiah in that point didn't write about the resurrection of Christ. But see, the Bible ties all this together. Christ is raised. All of his people will also be raised with him, death it will be destroyed for the people of God. We'll have victory. We'll rise from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. But Daniel also talks about the resurrection. Daniel 12, 2 said, Many of those who sleep in the dust will awake. These to everlasting life, but to others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There's Daniel, the Old Testament prophet. He says, Many in the dust shall awake. Some to what? Everlasting life. Those are the people of God. Those are Christians. Those are people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But others who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, it says they will be resurrected, but it will be to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. I pray no one here will be resurrected to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. Believe in Lord Jesus Christ. Why there is still time. Why you're still breathing breath. Trust in Jesus Christ. Because there will be a resurrection and you will stand and see your maker.
You will. And it's there. He'll either say, those on my right depart into everlasting joy of the Lord, but those on the left say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Now Job, Job also spoke about the resurrection. I think in this, in verse 25 and 26, he even refers to Christ. I mean, he does refer to Christ, but he refers to the resurrection because you know what he says? As for me, I know my Redeemer lives. He's only going to live because he's going to resurrect. And at that last, he will take his stand on the earth. And then he speaks of his own resurrection. He says, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Yet from my flesh I will see God. From my resurrected, glorified body, you, if you are a Christian, will see God. It will be a glorious sight. A beautiful vision of God. Jesus then speaks much about the resurrection. Remember, to his disciples, you know what he said? He said this. We already read about this, Luke 9, 22. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised up on the third day. And the apostles preached about Christ being raised. All the time, if you go through the book of Acts, that was one of the things they always said. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised up, to which we are witnesses. So you see then, even Paul will bring this out in 1 Corinthians 15, if you look at verse um, 12, uh, verse 13, he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we have found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. That seems like a, con- like a hard, complex argument, but what you hear what he's saying, right? The apostles preach that the dead are going to be raised. So if he didn't raise the dead, then they're misrepresenting God. If he didn't represent, they're misrepresenting God and they're false witnesses. So you see, therefore, the resurrection attests to the veracity of the Bible. The resurrection of Christ attests that the Bible, its prophecies, the apostles' preaching is absolutely true. The Bible's teaching also affirms the resurrection, doesn't it? They go hand in hand. They walk together. Both are true, and they attest to each other. So you see, the Bible's words are true. And if you want to be a Christian today, you must believe that the Bible's words are true. You must believe that these are the very words of God. You must believe the resurrection. If you don't believe this is the word of God, you, my friend, will not be saved. You cannot be saved. True and saving faith will believe in the words that God has spoken. So you might want to ask yourself that question. Do you believe that Christ was raised from the dead. Do you believe this? For the Christian, we have a sweet hope. It is that we have a word of God that is inerrant, that is infallible and reliable in every single way. Jesus says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. This, my friends, is the backbone of the Christian faith. 
Not what you think about God, not your own misgivings and meandering thoughts about God. This tells you who God is and what he requires of you. This tells you what man is to believe about God and what the duty God requires of man. Right here in this book. And there is no other book like it. There is no other word. There is no other foundation that by which you can build your life on, which is the word of God. The resurrection testifies to the word of God. If you have true and saving faith, you will believe every single verse in this book, rightly applied, rightly interpreted. That's why we come to church, to learn about the book. Come to church. You say, open the book and tell me what it says. Because this is how we live our life by. The Word of God is the bones on which the flesh of our faith stands. The Word of God is the frame on which the building of our faith resides. Without the Word of God, there is no Christian faith. And I mean the Word of God. Not someone's, you know, ridiculous thoughts about who God is or what God told me, the the latest and greatest revelation that you supposedly got from God. There's no other revelation from God other than what's been written in the book. So the resurrection then is the foundation that ensures that this is the Word of God. If you have true faith, you believe the Word of God. Well, secondly, the resurrection is the foundation of our hope. Not only does the resurrection serve as the veracity of Scripture, the foundation of it, the resurrection also serves as the foundation of your hope. Because the resurrection, we have hope. Because the resurrection, you have the hope of eternal life. You have the hope that this life is not all that there is. If for you this life is all that there is, you are of all men most to be pitied. This life. Do you have any hope for eternal life? Do you have hope that you will live after you die? Do you have that faith like Job that says, I know that if my flesh and my skin is destroyed, with my eyes I will see God. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have been born again, it says. God caused you to be born again. If you're born again, my friend, it's only because God, by his sovereign mercy and grace, caused it to happen. You weren't good enough. You aren't good enough. You can't just come to Christ. God has to draw you. He has to bring you and grant you belief, grant you repentance, or you will hate him. You won't want to follow God. You'll want to run from him. It's a miracle that anyone came to church today. Only reason is because God, for some reason... It is inscrutable providence brings you here to hear the word of God. And if you're a Christian, it's because you love him, because he's caused you to be born again. But notice he's caused you to be born again to what? A living hope. What is that living hope? Well, it says it's a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of the dead. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. It's a hope that you will live after you die. It's a hope that you will live with God in heaven. It's a hope that you will inherit His kingdom. It's a hope. 
of eternal life, which God promised. Who cannot lie? He promised it. What does this hope include? Well, it includes eternal inheritance that's waiting in reserve for God's people. You've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection to obtain an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. Will not fade away. It's right up there waiting. You just have to get it. How do you get it? You've got to die, and you'll get it. And you'll be like Paul. To live is Christ. To die is a gain. You want your inheritance? Well, it may not come on this earth. It'll come in heaven. Paul said that if there's not a resurrection, we'd be all, of all men most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You know why that is? We'd be the most, if, we're, if Christianity is not true, and the Bible is false, and the resurrection is false, then we are of all men most miserable. Why? Because you are believing in a lie. You're believing in something that is not true, and this is a very truly sad state. That's what he's saying. But if Christianity is true, which it is, The Spirit should testify to your heart. You know what? Those who do not believe are going to be the most miserable. Most miserable. They will not enter into the joy of the Lord. So you see, John says it like this, too. He says that this resurrection is our hope, but this hope also does something for the Christian here and now. It purifies ourselves. He says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Has not appeared, but we shall be what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you have a hope in Christ and in eternal life, you know what's going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to purify yourself. It'll cause you to purify your life because you want nothing more than to glorify God and you want nothing more than to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and you want nothing more than his sweet communion and assurance that you are his and he is yours. That's what you'll do because your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I was at a place that I go often and uh, I was just sitting there, and sometimes you can't, you can't help but to overhear conversations. I, I don't try to spy on people, but they're talking really loud. They're sitting right next to you. And this, this conversation, I just felt bad. And I'm not trying to judge anyone or judge her. I don't know her heart. But, like, she's meeting some guy there. She was a young lady, and she's just, she's just talking about how can I, you know, here's, what I, here's the diet that I'm on. Here's the weight I can lose. Here's how many calories I can eat. And this was like it's some dietician telling her, hey, this is the diet, and here's what you need to do, and here's this, and here's that. And you know, it was all about, that was like her hope. I was thinking, look, if that's your hope, your latest diet trend, you're of all men. Most, you're of all women, most to be pitied. I'll give you a true hope that you'll have a perfect resurrected body for all of eternity. I don't care. Your body now, it's going to wear out. You're probably going to end up, end up not very healthy. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, look at the things that people are putting their hope in. Are you putting your hope in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ? And we would say we don't want to be doing that. Also, a denial of the resurrection, Paul says, 
will cause moral depravity. So we're talking still about the hope. But if you deny this hope, or you don't live like you have the hope, Paul said that it's irris- that what would that produce? Paul said if you deny the hope of the resurrection, you will live in an irresponsible, sensual revelry. And that would be the only reasonable approach to life if there's no hope of resurrection. Let me read that again. Paul said that irresponsible, sensual revelry would be the only reasonable approach to life if there were new, no hope of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.32. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. I mean, just let us just live and just... If there's no resurrection hope, then just it doesn't matter. Eat, drink, be merry, just do whatever you want to do. Tomorrow you die. So, you know, do we have that hope? Some people say, well, I, I believe the resurrection, but I don't really live like it. Maybe you really, you, you might believe intellectually, but it doesn't mean you truly believe. Believing has to come from your heart and your will. The demons believe. The demons probably have more faith than some people here. Because you know what? The demons say they believe and they tremble. Some people to say they believe, but they don't even tremble. They don't really care. So the hope, the belief, has to be a true hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Resurrection is a compelling factor for the Christian to live their life that's not earthbound, but heavenly bound. How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? How much time do you spend thinking about eternal life? How much time of the day do you realize that you will meet God and you will give an account to Him? On that day, let us be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How, long, how much do we spend our lives thinking about earthly things, thinking about temporal things, not about resurrected glory. Christianity is all about what we're thinking, our mindset. My, my, my biggest fear for myself, for our church, for my family, is that we will be only thinking about earthly things. Earthly things. Not heavenly minded. And therefore, we will be no good at all. That's my greatest fear, is all these distractions that we have. We never think about our soul. We never think about God. We never th- all we think about is what's on the social media platforms today. And, and that's just not going to help us. The resurrection, then, is the foundation of our hope. This getting, I just get kind of lengthy, but I'll, I won't preach that much longer, but let me keep going a little bit more. The resurrection is the foundation of our salvation. If Christ didn't raise, we wouldn't even be saved. You ever read uh, Romans 4, 25? Who, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. So Jesus Christ is delivered over. Why? Because of your transgressions, because of your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. But you know what? He was raised up. And the resurrection then was God's stamp of approval, you might say, 
that he had received the sacrifice of Christ. He's placed his stamp upon it. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he placed his stamp upon his atoning works. And you know what it probably said? It's paid in full. We all owe God a certificate of debt. All of your sins that are against you. All of your sins that are contrary to you. That you break the law of God continually. And you have this certificate of debt. Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He pays the penalty for that certificate. And then Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And that is God's stamp on that certificate saying, The debt has been paid in full. You sinner, go free. You sinner, are free. Now, if you don't, if you don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ... That will mean nothing to you. There is no stamp of the resurrection on that certificate saying paid in full. And you will have to pay the penalty of your sins forever and ever and ever. In a place that not many people talk about today, because it's not, it's not politically correct anymore, called hell, where there's eternal fire, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And no joy only misery throughout all of eternity. And you have a chance, hearing these words, to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. And you can have that stamp placed on your certificate of debt saying, the debt has been paid. Go, sinner, be free. So that is what the resurrection did. It's proof positive that Christ was risen from the dead, that his sacrifice of atonement was a sweet-smelling sacrifice, an aroma to God that satisfies God for your sins. God is satisfied. His justice has been propitiated. It's been, it's been satisfied. His wrath has been quenched. And now he says to you, come, believe in me, and be reconciled to me. So that's very important. <laughs> How do you know that your faith and your, that, your, that your belief in Christ, will, you will truly be forgiven? Well, the resurrection proves us that. The resurrection. But the resurrection is also uh, the means of our regeneration, really. God's already applied the, re- the resurrection life and power to us when he raised us from the spiritually dead. Ephesians 1, 17 and 20, Paul said, I'm praying for you guys. And he says that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know his calling, you may know the greatness of his power that works towards us who believe. This was in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in heavenly places. He's saying, I want you guys, the church, the Ephesian church, to know the greatness of his power that was working in you who believe. He says, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So we've already experienced that power. If you are a Christian here today, you've already experienced and tasted that powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the resurrection power of God. That's the resurrection that sets you free from your sins and your death and enables you. It even makes you want to live to God and his glory. It's resurrection power. Man is completely dead. Man is completely dead in that enmity to God. And the only way to overcome that spiritual deadness is by resurrection. Powerful resurrection working in you 
Have you experienced that power? Do you experience it? Paul said this. He said, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We can walk out our Christian life by this strength, by this strengthening power of the Holy Spirit. It's great, beautiful. That's what a Christian is. And if you don't have that, I don't care if you come to church. I don't care what you profess with your mouth. You are not a Christian. Right? That's what the Bible says. Many people today, I believe in God. Great. I believe in Jesus. I always say, great. Are you a member of a church? No, I'm I'm not a member of a church. I don't got to be a member of the church to, to be a Christian. Really? Why won't you be? What do you have against God's church? What, what, what is this? What, you, what kind of game do you think? You think you have your own little personal religion with God. But you won't do it how the Bible says it. So we have to, we have to, face, we have to come to terms with that. Now, the, our perseverance is also related to the resurrection. Your perseverance it says this, Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for you. See, Jesus Christ resurrected. He always lives to make intercession for you. So that means you don't serve a dead Savior. You serve a Savior who's an advocate. I, if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is your defense attorney. He sits at the right hand of God. Satan brings all the accusations against you and all the accuses, and he says, no, Father, I've covered that sin. It's been paid. The debt has been paid, paid in full. He is your advocate. You know, if you get in trouble, or I don't know, you can look at it with like a law trouble. Hopefully no one's in trouble. But, you know, you get in trouble. You want a lawyer, right? You want someone to go for you to the judge. You want an advocate. You want someone to plead your cause. That's Jesus Christ for the Christian. And he sits at the right hand of God and he pleads our cause. He prays for you. He knows what you need. He gives you what you need when you need it, right at the exact time that you need it. And he's a perfect defense attorney. He pleads for you and he prays for you. You know what? Jesus Christ's intercession and pleading is always going to be answered by the Father. Jesus can only pray a prayer that's the will of God because he is God. And his powerful intercession will always prove powerful for you. That's why a true Christian person can never fall away from the faith. It's because Jesus Christ ensures it through his high priestly ministry at the right hand of God. Sometimes when you are so distraught... You're feeling so bad. You don't know how you're going to complete your journey. You should know this. Jesus Christ is praying for you. And he ensures that you will make it. We can trust in a Jesus like this. We can trust in a Jesus like this. If he did not rise from the dead, he cannot ensure that we would make it to the end. Do you realize how wicked you are? Do you realize how wretched you are, even in your flesh, you wouldn't make it. You would apostatize at the first chance you got. But you see, you have an advocate. You have Jesus praying, helping, giving aid. He's the paraclete. And the Holy Spirit is also an advocate. He's a, we have a double advocate. 
So it's really a great thing. I assure you, Jesus' prayers will never go unanswered, and you will make it. You will persevere until the end. I don't know if you'll persevere to the end of the service, but you'll persevere to the end of your life, and you will be received up in glory. Now, keep going with this, this theme of Christ's resurrection is the, is the basis or the foundation. Remember, it's the foundational stone of our salvation. That also includes our glorification. Our glorification is when you die, you'll be resurrected like Jesus. And the Bible says, now, God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us, us, us up too. If God raised up Jesus, he's going to raise you up. Romans 8, 11, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that indwells you. He's saying that the spirit resurrected Christ, Romans 8, 11, and that same spirit dwells in you. Did you know that? The same spirit dwells in you, and if that same spirit dwells in you, you also be resurrected with Jesus or at the end of the time. You will be resurrected as well. Also, it's interesting, you know, Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it back up. He's talking about the temple of his body. The resurrection is a triune work. The Father raises the dead, Jesus raises the dead, and the Holy Spirit raises the dead. And because Jesus rose, we too will rise. We will one day be glorified. It's certain because of the resurrection. Now, now, now i got to cut just one more. The resurrection is also our foundation of our victory over death. It's also the foundation. So it's the foundation of the veracity of the word of God. The resurrection is the foundation of our salvation or of our hope. It's also the foundation of our salvation. The the resurrection is also the foundation of our victory over death. What is the worst thing that could probably happen to you? Well, you'd probably say, if I died, right? Death is the thing that really scares us the most. But if you're a Christian... We have absolute victory over death. That's the whole message of Christianity. That's the whole message of, 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 of Easter. It's that we have victory over death. It's amazing. It's not that you're going to have a better life necessarily. It's that you have a hope of eternal life. So death is an enemy of mankind. But you see, this enemy, this enemy called death, we just want to personify death Death is an enemy. It's a ruthless enemy that wields its power over people. And people are terrified all their life of death. And death is grievous. And when people die, what happens? You cry. Because death is a terrible thing. But here's Jesus who steps in as our prince of life. Jesus, the prince of life, destroys the power of death. He destroys the enemy of death. Death was Satan's tool. That's like the main tool in his toolbox. And he likes to wield it over people. And he knows, if I can cause this guy, this man, this woman, this little boy, the little girl to die, before they come to faith in Jesus Christ, then they're going to go right to hell. I got them right where I want them. Right? But Jesus Christ steps in, the prince of life, and through the resurrection, he destroys the one who had the power of the death, that is the devil. Acts 2.24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it's impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus Christ couldn't be held in the power of death. Three days, and he's resurrected. He destroyed 
the power of death. That's why we read, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean for a Christian? It means that you don't need to be afraid of death. The worst thing that could happen to you is really the best thing, so to speak, because it's a promotion to the glory of God. If you are a Christian and you die, you'll never have to suffer again. You'll never have to weep again. You'll never have to experience pain again. And not only that, will you not experience the tragedies of life, you'll also be filled with fullness of joy. And at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know what pleasure you have experienced in this life. Maybe the pleasure of a son or daughter being born. The pleasure of when you got married to your spouse. Many pleasures in this life, and we're thankful for them. But these pale in comparison to the full glory that will yet be revealed in us. The best for the Christian is yet to come. So Satan has been defanged. The stinger of death has been removed. And we have eternal life. We have eternal life. At that last day, when we breathe our last breath, hopefully we can say like Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Could you say that at your last day? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. First, I guess you'd have to ask if God is your Father. If He's your Father, you can say that. If He's not, then your Father is who? The devil. The devil cannot save you. Never. Lastly, this is actually the last one. The rest, I got to finish because it's Easter Sunday. Everyone's starting to leave. <laughs> Lastly, the resurrection should be the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our hope. It's the foundation of our salvation. It's the foundation of our victory over death, and it's also the foundation of, this is a real quick one, of our faith. You know why I say that? This is important right here. Because, again, it's like I said before, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you won't be saved. Period. End of story. So you'll go to a liberal college, and you'll go to a liberal school and say, oh, that's hogwash. Don't believe that fairy tale, Jesus rising from the dead. People don't rise from the dead. Hey, that's crazy. Don't believe them, because they will damn your soul to hell if you believe them. Because the Bible says this. It says, what does the word say? The word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you listen, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... A person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouse, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So we must believe in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead if we want to be saved. It's integral to our faith. It's foundation to your faith. So I leave you with this one question. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on the cross for sinners, was buried, was laid in the tomb for three days, and on that third day, he was risen from the dead? Do you believe this? 
that question will decide your eternal destiny. That question will decide your, my eternal destiny. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he who believes in me will, will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So that's, that's great. Ask, that, ask yourself that question this Easter Sunday. And I'll answer it for myself. I do believe this. And I commit my life, my soul to this. And I know that I am bound for the promised land. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.